Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. We're still doing this. <laughs> we are still at home, still surviving. Hopefully everyone listening is as well. It's been quite a year, that's for sure. Absolutely. And we're just keeping on. I think what's exciting about today's guest is we had previously had a chance to speak to him and fabulous conversation. Didn't record it because our recording equipment just went 2020 because I guess that's a saying now. But it's totally fine. He was more... <laughs> More than gracious to make the time to hang out with us again. Our guest is Rob Gorski. He is the author, influencer, and most importantly, advocate, the autism dad. He has three kiddos, and he's just doing everything that he can to help them on this journey called life. Rob, thank you so much for coming back on again. Oh, that's okay. I really appreciate it. It was a fun conversation. <laughs> so, Rob, can you kind of tell our guests a little bit about yourself and how you became an influencer? Sure. I'm a single dad to three kids with autism, ranging age, now they're ages 12 to almost 21, which is ridiculous. And I started, I think it was back in 2010. My wife at the time was noticed that I was struggling to deal with everything and suggested that I start like writing in a journal and I don't write on paper, pencil or anything mm-hmm. like that. So she's like, you should start a blog. And I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. I don't know anything about it. And so what I did was just basically word vomit everything that I was feeling onto something that I thought was completely private and it ultimately wasn't. Oh my gosh. And it resonated with people because I started getting a lot of feedback from it. And I found that it was actually very therapeutic for me to just kind of talk about the things that were, that I was going through as a a parent and trying to sort of navigate some of these challenges and, you know, frustrations and feelings and all that stuff and, and just put it out there. And then I could walk away from from it, not being burdened by it, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and it just sort of took off. And, you know, 10 plus years later, almost 11 years later, you know, still doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think people, it's easy to think that you're the only one living in the circumstances that you're in. And more often than not, there are people out there that can relate and are thinking the exact same thing. I'm the only one in this space. I'm the only one feeling this way. And usually you're not. So I think it probably resonated with so many people who probably thought the same thing, you know, and I think it's easy for us to get in our own bubble thinking you know, and so putting it out there is very courageous. Obviously, not everyone, you know, is able to put their feelings out there or start, you know, what they're going through. But I think it's so helpful for other people to hear. Yeah, it kind of, I mean, in fairness to everybody who's not comfortable doing this, I was not comfortable doing that, truthfully. And when I started doing it, I didn't realize that I was doing it. And so it was a little bit easier because I just started saying and writing the things that I was dealing with, thinking that no one else was ever going to see it because you feel safer doing that. And it turned out to not be that way. I was very ignorant of the internet and social media and stuff back then. But it's been, but it is, it's been very positive. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of the feedback that I get is sort of revolves around 
what, like what you were saying, where people feel like their feelings get validated. You know, like I tend to say a lot of the things that other people are feeling, but maybe just aren't as comfortable verbalizing. You know, knowing that there's other people out there who are struggling or frustrated or just celebrating what some people think are ridiculous victories, it's very validating for them and they find comfort in that. And it's, it's helpful for me because it helps me to process things and I feel like I'm contributing and helping other people. And so it has turned, you know, what has been a, a challenging 20 years of my life into something that I think has become overtly positive. Well, there's this awareness, right, that I think 2020 has catapulted many people into regarding mental health. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that journaling and meditating and things like that of course help. But so many people, I don't know, there's just like a stigma around it. I think, you know, we get up and I don't, but some people get up and go to the gym every day. And you know, that's glorified, right? To a certain extent, and you're taking care of your health. And you got to work out your mind as well, right? I mean, you start thinking in repetitive patterns, you know, and we're either living in the past or in the future. And I always hated it when people are like, you just need to be in the moment. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and Finally, you know, after almost a year of meditation, I think I kind of know, right? It's just like, stop thinking, you know, and not that, you know, stop thinking, but I think that that is what cathartic process writing can do. You're you're in the moment and your thoughts are flowing, your feelings are flowing, and, and whether it was an accident or not, you, you kept at it. And I think that sort of inner strength um, is what people are drawn to. And that's why I kind of had touted it as, you know, an influencer, right? Because we see on Instagram, like, oh, look at the influencers. They're influencing me to buy, you know, this mascara or whatnot. But truly, really, you know, through the power of your words, either written or spoken, because I know you do have a podcast as well. I think that kind of has opened for people the chance to know they're not alone. And I think that's the biggest thing of this year is people wanting to be grouped and like you said feel validated and feel seen and I think that through your journey has kind of helped so many people what is kind of some of the questions that you get from people when they reach out to you or is it questions or are they kind of just sharing their stories well, I guess there's really, kind of, I think, three kinds of questions or comments that I get a lot. Some of them are just hateful, ignorant comments that I've learned to mostly ignore and not respond to. Sometimes it's hard yeah, not to say things, but that's awful. Uh, a lot of the other ones are, most of them are very, very positive. You know, it's that people want to know, probably the most common question is like, how do I do it? And I get out of bed every morning and I take care of my kids. I don't, like, I, to me, that's normal, right? I don't know anything different. Right. And then, you know, a lot of times people ask for advice on things and like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of giving people advice because autism specifically is such a profoundly different, you know, it's different for every person. And you know, what works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for somebody else because what works for my kids today probably won't work tomorrow Absolutely. or five minutes from now. Yeah. And it's always this constant moving target. But, you know, I've had comments, a lot of grandparents actually too, you know, who have grandchildren who are autistic and they did not understand what their children had been going through or why they had to handle things in certain ways. And you know, reading reading our story or following our story has helped them to sort of put things into a context that helped them to you know be more supportive and understanding and aware of what was going on in their own family. And that always feels really good because you know those are kind of life changing moments because not everybody has that built in support Absolutely. from family and friends when you're dealing with something like this. And when you can help to sort of facilitate that in some way, that's, that seems very positive to me. 
Absolutely. And I think that for us, you know, in the line of work that we do, we are counselors in in every sense of the word. And to be able to connect with so many different people, whether it's speech and language pathologists, occupational therapists, teachers, you know, administrators or or individuals like yourselves, it, it helps us kind of piece together, you know, how to respond, right, when we get questions like that as well. And, you know, we know the law, but the parent knows their child the best, you know, whether they don't understand, you know, the disability completely or not, you know, that's, that's still your child. And you do know what's best. And I think that is what's so challenging for a lot of parents when they go to IEP meetings. And it's very overwhelming, right? You may have 10, 12 people on the other side of the table, you know, staring at you. You know, sometimes when you feel like your child's reading levels are low or their speech isn't where it should be, you know, you have all these people being like, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. And you kind of feel like you're taking crazy pills, right? And so, you know, these parent groups, you know, on Facebook and your blog and podcasts and things like that, I think kind of help people put things into perspective and for them to know that they can do it, right? Like you said, you just, you wake up and you do it. There's no time to think of anything else. And, you know, with three kiddos on the spectrum and each of them being different, you know, just because they're on the spectrum doesn't mean that they're all the same type of autism, right? I think that's probably something that people would think. But what works for one kiddo with autism sure as heck may not work for the next. And I think that that's what we're constantly battling is that labeling and then, you know, grouping Uh of kids um, that are similar. And and I'm sure you see stark differences in your kids. Oh, yeah. My oldest, he's going to be 21 in January, and he is the most profoundly impacted. Okay. So cognitively, he's in the area of about five years old, give or take, in some areas. And he regressed. You know, he developed typically. He, he has childhood disintegrated disorder. So okay. he developed typically. And then it was like we put him to bed. One kid, he woke up somebody else. My two youngest are very high functioning and just very different than he is. And then they're very different from each other. They have different likes and dislikes. And sensory things are kind of a nightmare in our house. And they each have different kind of things that they struggle with. And, and a lot of times dealing with one conflicts with what someone else needs. Mm. Like at bedtime for my two youngest, they share a room. One has to listen to music to fall asleep, but can't wear headphones at night. The other one likes to have the light on, but they can't sleep with each other's needs, I guess if that makes mm. sense. So like yeah. the one who needs to listen to music can't have the light on and the one who needs the light on can't listen to music. Right, right. And so it, it just becomes this, you know, back and forth as you try to figure something out. But, but they are, they're very unique and, you know, it is misleading when you group everybody under the same umbrella term of autism because there is just such a it's such a dynamic condition everybody is so unique and different and you know i think that sort of contributes to a lot of the stereotypes and the misunderstandings and confusion surrounding it because everybody assumes you know like if you have diabetes you have type 1 or type 2 right i mean everybody right. sort of follows the same path but when you have kids with autism they're different they behave differently they think differently they experience life differently just like anybody else yeah. and that makes it harder for people to i think fully understand yeah did you experience any challenges with the schools with that, with them maybe identifying the needs of one of your children and trying to kind of replicate it for the others? When we were in the public school system, it did not go very well. We had IEPs in place just with my oldest, for example, and he was in the public school system here. His IEP was not followed. Teachers wouldn't even show up. Like they weren't present during the IEP meetings because they were out running errands between class. There were a lot of things that had I understood what my rights were or what his 
rights were back then would have been handled very differently. But we have since, you know, we found there's a charter school in our area that specializes in educating kids with autism and ADHD and things like that. And that has been a very positive experience because we almost, my kids don't even have an IEP anymore because a lot of the things they needed are already built into the curriculum. And Mm -hmm. so it's been a very positive experience with that. I don't know if that answered your question. That's always great to hear. Yeah, it's always great to hear. I mean, we definitely have seen on occasion when we've had like clients who, you know, have multiple children on the spectrum and whether or not they're close in age, sometimes schools tend to group them together and assume that because they're from the same family that they have the same circumstances, the same needs, the same challenges. And we know that's very far from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. We would have issues with like there's the medical diagnosis of autism and then there's they call it the educational diagnosis. And we would have my 14 year old was when he was in kindergarten, he was diagnosed with was Asperger's at the time. And, you know, the teachers at the time were telling us that the diagnosis was wrong. They didn't see anything different and whatever. And we just kept saying, well, he's acting this way because of this. And it got to the point when the school year ended, they told us not to bring him back because they felt he needed specialized services that they couldn't provide. And he didn't. I mean, he's an overachiever. He just, there was some social awkwardness and things like that. But it is, the education system can be very, very challenging for kids with autism and and their families. And it's nice that there are people out there like you guys who are advocating and helping parents to navigate. I mean, IEP gives people shivers. Just that's like a forbidden word in a lot of households. Yeah. (laughs) You know, everybody's terrified. So it's nice to have allies. Absolutely. And did you find, how did your, like, were your kids kind of aware of the challenges that you faced in the IEP process? Or did you kind of try to, you know, isolate them from that? The only issues that we really had with IEP was with my oldest. And, you know, and the things that we were dealing with, I mean, frankly, what I would consider abusive, segregation and isolation and things like that. You know, he used to come home and tell us that he would, he had to spend time at the beach today. And we're thinking like, oh, that sounds really cool, Gavin, you know, whatever. Well, here we find out the beach was a closet that had a picture of you know, like a, maybe it was intended to be kind of like that kitten hanging from a tree saying, like, right, hang on there or right, something. Right, hang in there, yeah. And we found out that it was actually isolation. So he was aware of things, but I don't know that he understood how wrong they were, if that makes sense. Right. And we did try to always have conversations about, we always tried to sort of keep him separated from those conversations because we didn't want what other people said or did or thought to impact how he thought or felt about himself. If that no, that makes totally sense. makes sense. I think the most frustrating thing for Amanda and I are the old ways of doing things and how it's just always been done that way. So we need to keep doing it that way. We were really hopeful or optimistic this quarantine, this pandemic, you know, back in March, maybe by June, you know, that it really, really turned education on its head. You know, it wasn't good before, you know, obviously we, we had clients before quarantine, before the pandemic, but it's just so much worse now. And for, you know, I'm not asking people to reinvent the wheel, but there's so many, like, I'm not really good at like, building stuff like I can follow directions but if you were to be like creatively like uh-huh. built like you know when I'm playing Legos with my 23 month old I'm just like I don't know I just stack them on top of it like I'm not like I'm creative in different ways right but like I could go on YouTube and you know get ideas from other people and I just think that there's so many of those teachers that were being highlighted rightfully so on social media but that was not the majority of the teachers most were overwhelmed and currently still are overwhelmed they're not getting the right support and it's top down and you know to think that putting a child in in a closet 
was ever a good idea, especially in 2020. Like, I don't know, 2020 is kind of weird, but like just in this day and age, I just, it's, <laughs> it blows my mind. Like, why is that okay? And I think that that's what's really frustrating. Amanda and I get all these ideas from all these great people that we talk to and we've met uh, along the way and we bring them to different meetings. But you would think that, you know, we were these, you know, experts. Oh, like, oh, we never thought of that. And it's just like, I literally got that off of Pinterest. And so that's why we encourage parents. And that's why we started this podcast was really to just start the conversation and just get as many different people that we could that, you know, could give the confidence to parents, but also to people that may not have children or may not have children with special needs and to just kind of bring that awareness. And I think that's why we were really excited to have you on because, you know, through your honesty and, you know, I'm just from your postings, you know, recently with quarantine, you know, we got to take it one week at a time. And I think that's so encouraging. And that's what we need to remember, whether it's quarantine or not, that, you know, we have to take it one day at a time, because if we're stuck worrying about the future or the past, it's not helpful. (laughs) And it's not helpful to our kiddos. And I think you've done a great job. And, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but you've done a great job of showing your journey. And we so appreciate that, because I think oftentimes we see the mom's perspective, but the dad's perspective we don't see very often. Yeah, dads, for whatever reason, don't want to talk about it. I noticed even with my podcast, like I try and connect with as many parents as I can. And I actually have an interview tomorrow with a dad. And I think that's the first three seasons. I think that's the first wow. dad. Yeah. I have my friend Joel Manzer is an autism dad, and we sometimes co-host things together. So I don't include him in that, just whatever. But most dads don't want to talk about it. I don't fully understand that, but I think it's important that we do. Yeah, we know obviously a lot of our like point people are moms. I think during quarantine, especially like over the summer, I was getting a lot of dads like on the phone calls because everybody was at home. (laughs) So, you know, the dad perspective is just as important. And, you know, the role of a dad, you know, some dads are that like, ah, it's fine. You know, they fall down, they get hurt. You know, they really are there to help, you know, challenge their kids in in different ways than, than a mother, right? And, you know, I always appreciate that opportunity to speak to the dads because I think it gives a more kind of well-rounded perspective of the kiddo, right? Because as moms, we worry about everything. And I've been told that, you know, from my mom and my mother-in-law, they still worry about, you know, me and my husband and we're well into our 30s. So I think that's just something as moms we worry about. But yeah, I mean, I believe that this is, you know, the first dad that you'd have on. And I was just thinking, about it and I think yeah in our three seasons this is the first dad that we've had or actually we did have one other dad who had worked and he actually was getting together a group of dads here in Orange County kind of like a dad support group I'd heard him and so just kidding but yeah I mean it's always nice to get that perspective I mean Amanda yeah you've dealt with a couple of dads as well right yeah I have and you know I definitely it's interesting when I go to IEPs and like there's a lot of IEP teams that when the moms are there by themselves there are some teams that don't bat a second eye glance at the fact that the mom is only there and they never ask the dad's opinion but then others are very interested in like why isn't dad here we want to get the information 
So it's, there's definitely a different reaction to, and then when I've had dads only go to IEP meetings or the mom and dad, I definitely see a different dynamic. I think teams are sometimes quick to assume that a mom is like a tiger mom. I don't see that as much with dads. So that's one dynamic. But then at the same time, there are teams that you know, will make rash assumptions that maybe the dad isn't as involved. So it doesn't matter that they're not at the IEP, but they certainly have, you know, a lot of input. They they can sometimes see things that maybe the mom doesn't see, or maybe they are seeing the same thing the mom sees, but you know, when there's the dynamic of, well, this is happening at home versus this is happening at school, it's not seen as just like, oh, well, only the mom sees this. Sometimes it's important. And and I think that's often overlooked is the dad's opinion of the dad's perspective. Just because we have still these stereotypes that, you know, the mom is the caretaker for the child. And so, you know, the mom knows the child best when you know, the dads can know their child just as well, if not better in some circumstances. I have that actually personally, because like my kids live with me full time. Mm. Even with the state of Ohio defaults to the mother, like regardless of the situation, unless mm. there's like a court court documentation, okay, they still yeah. defer to the mother, even if the kids live with the dad full time like me. And so that I find a little bit frustrating. I understand why they do it that way, because... That's typically how it happens. There is, and everybody has a different perspective, you know, and it's important to to get everybody's insight and because it, it helps frame things in a context that can improve, you know, the odds of success with our kids, you know, so I understand what you're saying, I guess. Yeah, I think that, you know, we, there, there's so many people, right? It, it does take a village and, and we try to, you know, sometimes we'll get involved and you know, they like the district people kind of get they just they're different, right. And I always just try to emphasize that, you know, we may be with this client for a year, we may be with this client for a couple of months, we may be with this client for a couple of years. But you know, the purpose is for the team to either rebuild the relationship that was damaged, you know, for this particular parent, but more importantly, to just effectively communicate. I think that is the root cause of so much anger just in general is, you know, people reacting mm-hmm. to things that they hear or not understanding, you know, sometimes we'll find out that the district and the parent are saying the same things, but maybe they're using different terminology. And so maybe the parent is using, you know, the terminology in a different way. And instead of just having someone ask questions, just a very simple question, like, well, mm-hmm. what do you mean by reading program? Like, literally just that simple, you know, we could avoid so much. And that's why we just try to encourage parents, you know, even if they have a conversation sometimes with the teacher to send an email, have it in writing, because if the teacher didn't say that, you know, they'll correct you, right? And I think that's really important because there's so many, you know, we could hear the same thing. A man and I used to do this all the time in person. Somebody would say something to us and we would have two different reactions because we literally heard two different things and the person said the same thing. We both heard it at the same time. And, you know, Mm -hmm. through effective communication, that's how you kind of get to the true meaning of things. And I think that that 
is what is really important and why I think, you know, just your candor and your honesty in how you, you know, just are living your life, I think really resonates with a lot of people. And it gives them just kind of, like I said, that sense of, you know, whatever the opposite of loneliness is, right? I don't know if that would be togetherness. I don't know what, you know, that's been a key term through this quarantine. We'll get through this together. It feels like we're ripped at the seams right now. Just with the state of affairs, we're recording this early in November, and that's why I say that. But, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, it does take a village to raise a child, and that's why it's important to establish those connections, you know, even if there's somebody on the team that you don't really like you know, figure it out because it's the child, right? That the focus should be on. And if that person's Mm -hmm. focus is not on the child, then you get them out because there's just no way that you're going to move forward. And I think that, you know, just how you were saying like, oh yeah, IEPs are like a dirty word in some houses. We totally get that. And part of our job (laughs) is to resurrect or resuscitate, you know, that relationship or that breakdown. And, you know, sometimes that means having to file right away, you know, a complaint and hopefully try to start anew, you know, start with a fresh plate. And sometimes that is, you know, like Amanda's had a case for like six, seven years. He's in middle school now. And I think, Amanda, he was in kindergarten. You know who I'm talking about. I'm obviously not going to say that. But now he's in middle school, right? Yeah. And then high school's right around the corner, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's insane. So many transitions and everything's just so different. Yeah. But yeah, Rob, I mean, we really appreciate you coming on. I just kind of wanted to end with, you know, how you're doing during this quarantine. Is there anything that you have been telling your listeners or your readers, uh, you know, what they should do? Or are you just kind of just telling everybody to hang in there? Well, you know, I'm a facts and science guy. So I always tell people to do what we have to do to get through this. Yeah. Because if we don't, then this is going to drag on forever. Yeah. And then we have needless loss of life. And, you know, but like my oldest is immunocompromised. Compromise. So I was just double checking the date, and we're at 245 days of lockdown. Wow. Because wow. I can't put him at risk. Wow. And it's tough. I mean, it's just me and my three kids. You start to go a little nuts, I think, to some extent, and you just want it to be over with. But, you know, I think it's just important that people take care of themselves. I have personally, it's a struggle to balance remote learning and everything else. Yeah. Because autistic kids, in a lot of cases, just are not wired to do it that way. And I've just made the decision as long as we're in quarantine, as long as this pandemic is raging, you know, we're going to go through the motions. They're going to go to their classes. They're going to do their homework, but this does not represent what they're capable of, you know, outside of this and trying to prioritize health and emotional well-being, even if that's over top of, you know, school at this exact moment in time, because this is really a very difficult time and we're all in survival mode and trying to, there's a lot of transitions for kids on a spectrum and, and they just don't do well with that. So we just try and keep them from, I try and keep them from getting down on themselves for struggling with school right now and things like that. So we just, you know, take care of yourselves, yeah. try and practice self-care, reasonable expectations with your kids in online learning and reasonable expectations of yourself because most of us aren't teachers. Yeah. And I can't do the new math. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, hard to help. And just, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands, mm-hmm. do all yeah. that stuff and we'll get through it. I That's love usually that. my okay. spiel. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I love that. I love the expectations because I think that people still have maintained the same expectations pre-COVID and you have to let it go. 
this is not going to be like any other school year. <laughs> Even when you're at homes, right? Like I've had conversations with their mom where, you know, she's as involved as she can be from a distance, but even her expectations are different than what mine are. Like I'm living it every day. Right. And I'm like, you know what? If he's got a D right now, it's not enough. Right. And uh, right. as the teacher said, he's doing really well. He's just struggling with adjusting to this. And, you know, I just had a meeting with the principal and like everybody in the school has, is doing very poorly on their report cards. And so it's not just a him thing. It's right. an everybody thing. And, you know, I just want to survive this yeah, right, right now. And so I'm going to just keep encouraging them. And, you know, it would be very different if he was in the building. Right. We would approach it very differently. But this Absolutely. is, I don't know what to do as an adult. I'm struggling to cope as an adult. Yeah. And, you know, I've got 40 years of life experience and these guys don't. And so reasonable expectations, I think, are very, very important right now. One, be on the same page. Yeah, no, 100%. Thank you, Rob, so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming back on. Well, thank um, you for having me. Yeah, and so where can people find you? Find you online, find you with your podcast. Can you let them know? You can find me at theautismdad.com. All of my social links are at the top. I try to keep everything consistent. It's, everything's at the Autism Dad, so Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And then you can find the podcast anywhere that you find your podcasts or you can just go to listen.theautismdad.com and it'll have all that stuff there too so thank you excellent Rob it was a pleasure thank you so much and we will talk to you guys later bye bye